this is really problematic, but in some ways, in my relationships, it's almost like, to me, I'm like, you know, the one that gets penetrated the most, like, you have to, you carry the bag. Uh-huh. Like, if you're, if you're screwed fucking someone in the butt, you better carry their bag. This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And before I get to this installment of Ask Unladylike, where I answer listener questions that Google could never, there's something I need to ask y'all. I am recording this Monday, November 28th, and this morning I'm scrolling through my phone, and yes, I was in line to early vote in the Georgia Senate runoff for Raphael Warnock because, yes, this erection does matter, you know, to to quote his Republican competitor, Herschel Walker. I was scrolling through my phone and learned that Merriam-Webster Dictionary had declared its 2022 word of the year, and that word, spoiler alert, is gaslighting? It's gaslighting. And if this was intended, well played Merriam-Webster, because I, in that moment, felt gaslit. I did. I did, because for one thing, I really think that it's time for any words that have become so mainstream to the point of nonsensical and meaningless, let's just disqualify them from any kind of word of the year status. I'm talking you're triggered, trauma, canceled, empath, uh, toxic, unless it is in reference to the Britney Spears single, of course. And gaslighting, like, past that point of no return a while ago. Not to mention that the events of 2022 have been anything but gaslighting. Like, there's there's no switcheroo, fake-out projection going on here. People are saying the quiet parts out loud. <laughs> like, uh... Okay. Ooh. So I just wanted to ask y'all if... You agree that gaslighting is an accurate 2022 word of the year, and if not gaslighting, then what what should it be? Hmm? Would genuinely love to know. At Unladylike Media on Instagram. Okay. Y'all have sent in far more important questions. We need to get into them. And for our first letter, I couldn't answer it alone. Nope. This... This woman married to a man. Nope. I knew I knew I needed help. I knew I needed help. My name's Emma Wilman. I go by she, her pronouns, but they that really whatever just to like keep it just keep it moving. I'm not very I'm not super tied to anything really. Um, and I am an actor and a comedian, and why? 
I don't know, because I love it and because I'm an idiot. Well, Emma, I am so happy that you are here to help me answer this question I'm about to read from a listener. But first, you also host a podcast and regularly answer listener advice questions as well. So tell Unladylike listeners about Inside the Closet. So Inside the Closet is a podcast I've been doing with a comedian, Mateo Lane, I think for like six or seven years. It Both Mateo and I are gay, and we're the premise was we're two gay comedians that are performing in like mainstream spaces. And for me, it was like, at the time, that was the gayest work I was willing to put out there because I was always like, I don't want to do gay, gay, gay. I think it's corny. And then he was like, I think that's internalized homophobia. So I was like, all right, I'll, let's do it. And then we would just be like a, place where people could see what two gay people talk about if they were alone. And then people would write in questions. We get a lot of questions about like how to like meet somebody, dating questions, relationship advice, definitely like leans towards the queer variety. But I would say what makes me, would make me uh, qualified to answer a question about something is I'm just like super queer myself. So I have asked you here to, oh, this is perfect. This advice question is from an Emma for an Emma, it turns out. So. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I thought when you said Emma sent it in, I was like, I, I didn't, but I was going to go along with it. I was going to pretend as though I did. So listener Emma wrote, I'm a queer woman in my mid-30s, and recently I've started dating a woman who identifies strongly with masculinity and being butch. This is a new dynamic for me, and I'm finding myself frustrated with how essentializing the butch femme roles can feel. I don't do things a particular way because I'm femme. My gender presentation has nothing to do with how I show up in a relationship or how I treat other people. But for my girlfriend, she wants to embody a certain kind of masculinity that's all about chivalry and caretaking. And that in itself is wonderful, but why does it have to be connected to gender presentation? I find myself wishing she would just say she likes being a caretaker instead of it being about masculinity. I'm trying to figure out how to approach the topic with her in a way that isn't asking her to change a part of her identity, but still kind of calls her out on what I see as a replication of gender essentialist norms that I really didn't think I would ever have to deal with in a lesbian relationship. Thoughts? Mm. I think this is such an interesting question because there's a lot to unpack there. But just to begin, I will say, because you're in a queer relationship, you're already dissenting from what society's expectations of you are. So it does give you more wiggle room to play around. And it's separated from what those norms and society's expectations because just inherently by being queer, you're already like separate from that. But that said, I totally, I hear you. It's complicated. It's it's tricky. A lot of things go into it. I would definitely just be very careful too with, you know, it's like figuring out what does masculinity mean to your partner? Where does it come from? How does it play into their identity? What are the overlaps with caretaking? Because it doesn't sound like they have a problem with the gestures, but more of a problem with the idea of where it's coming from and what it's tied to. Mm -hmm. And I guess if it's tied to something that you think of as like unfair or unequal, which is what like traditional ideas of 
gender roles are equated with and, you know, that is uncomfortable. So I feel like if you're, if you say like, I like these things that you're doing, but I'm just having a hard time understanding how they are connected to gender presentation, that might give your partner a chance to explain it a little bit. But the thing is, is like, so I get it because I'm always, I date like hyper feminine women. And I always think of chivalry for me is like, that's tied to masculinity in that I wouldn't want my girlfriend to be shivers. Like, you know, maybe if my girlfriend like opens a door for me or something like, yeah, that's fine. But like, I carry the bags. Like she's the, she's the, you know, I know this is totally problematic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think of it within the safe space of deconstructing these things to then reconstruct them for fun. So I'll think of it like energy, like, and I I try to keep, be like a hundred percent honest. Like sometimes when I see two couples, it could be a penis and a vagina couple too, straight couple or a bisexual couple where they have an opposite sex partner, but it's like people who have the same amount of feminine and masculine energy when they date each other. I get bewildered because <laughs> I'm like, I just think it's crazy because it would be crazy for me, but I totally support it in other people. Of course, like love is love. Do what you got to do. I support that. It's a great thing. But like for me, I'm so set on that what I'm attracted to is like the most feminine, like, the, you know, so I get that idea of like, I remember going on dates with someone and she lived in Boston. She was, she came out to visit me in New York, which, you know, for me, chivalry would be, I would visit her first or like I would have her come out or something mm-hmm. like that. Which, you know, there's like toxicity to that too. Cause like if you're super chivalrous and sometimes you also resent the person, which isn't fair. But I remember I was bringing her back to the subway and I took her, I was carrying her bags and she was like, don't carry my bags. Like I can carry my bags. Like, and I remember being kind of like, Ugh, like why? Like I, I don't have, my hands are free. I feel uncomfortable having her carry the bag. Sure. Or like something like, I fly a lot. So I've got, so if I get bumped up and I'm with my girlfriend, over my dead body, would I then take the bumped up seat? Like, you know, but that that's how I equate it in my head. To me, it's tied to masculinity and that it's tied to like the types of sexual dynamics that I enjoy, but you can't put that on everybody. It's, I guess that's all just a really convoluted way of saying that it can tie into so many different things that then would be associated with masculinity for the person because that's what's important to them. But to the person writing in, never be a part of something that, or do something that makes you uncomfortable because a big part of masculinity for me or chivalry is making the person comfortable. Mm -hmm. My, My girlfriend articulated this stuff a little bit more professionally and better than I did So her advice was to, she said, use your words. So that's not something I would naturally say, but that I thought it was good. Use your words. It's not that you don't want her to take on those roles. It's you're uncomfortable in the traditional conventional space where they come from. So it's hard for you to wrap your head around those gestures coming from a place that's tied to gender roles and sexism. So she said that that would be one way to like articulate the situation. Like, it doesn't mean masculine people should do this and feminine people should do that. Like, that stuff, like, does need to all get broken. But it, because you're in a queer relationship, it is already, like, separated. Like, you're you're not not queer because it resembles what, quote-unquote, traditional heterosexual relationships are, which hopefully, for heterosexuals, they can move away from that, too. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not—what's coming across from the email is not necessarily, like— toxic masculinity. She's not giving any examples of what would, you know, sound like kind of red flag behavior. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. And even, 
using the terms of caretaking, I think is interesting because if we are talking in, you know, very kind of binary terms, who's the caretaker? I mean, that's considered a more feminine role. I mean, definitely, I think a conversation and using of words would be helpful not only to clue in the girlfriend about what's going on, but also maybe allow Emma to explore what this is bumping up against in, also maybe in her. Not saying like, Emma, this is all Mm -hmm. you. Does that make sense? Totally. Because, and also the idea of why does it have to be connected to gender presentation? It doesn't. And it, it, I don't think that maybe your partner isn't saying that it does, but it is for them, and it's not in a way that one is better than the other. It's just that traditionally we've been taught that one is better than the other, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what your par- partner is. Also the line of, I find myself wishing that she would just say that she likes being a caretaker. I guess I wonder why exactly that terminology is important. Is it because of the historical context of it? Because I would be a little careful with the phrasing, like she said, the Emma says, but for my girlfriend, she wants to embody a certain kind of masculinity, not she embodies a certain type of masculinity. So I don't know, though, I could be wrong. And maybe that's toxic masculinity thinking to like pay homage to their masculinity. So maybe that's toxic masculinity on my end of saying that she should, that it's better like, you know, like building up their masculinity before critiquing it. I don't know. Maybe that's like a fragile masculinity <laughs> ego thing that I shouldn't play into. Well, I think it's notable that Emma's in their mid-30s, mm-hmm. and it sounds like this is the first butch person that she's dated. I've started dating a woman mm-hmm. who identifies strongly with masculinity and being butch. This is a new dynamic for me. Is there also a world in which maybe it's not the dynamic for you. Oh, for sure. You want someone that desires like what you're all about. Like I think desires like the most attractive thing. So if someone's like, oh, I have to comp, you know, I like this person, but I'm compromising that what I really want here, like that usually does end up coming out in the wash. And you know what? You'll find plenty of people that, you know, you carry your bags, they carry theirs, you carry theirs, whatever the shit. And then your partner can find someone who wants those doors opened and whatever it is. Or I wouldn't force yourself into a dynamic that is in any way uncomfortable or like, you know, chipping at what you want. Mm-hmm. Because it is an interesting phrasing. My gender presentation has nothing to do with how I show up in a relationship. I wonder what the partner's doing to be like, I'm opening this door for you because I wear trousers. Like, I wonder what they're like doing that's making it so obviously tied in with the presentation. And I could see how that could get old. Like if it's if it's like rigid in a way, then that probably could be boring or frustrating, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I will say based on Emma's email, my immediate picture, like who I imagine as her girlfriend is wearing a tool belt at all times. <laughs> like right, it's a for very sure, for sure. strong, strong signifier. Right. 
I'm curious for you, Emma, have you ever been sat down for one of these kinds of talks at all? I would never be in a relationship with someone that that wasn't, like, into the dynamic of it. I wouldn't go there because, you know, it's too— life is too hard and complicated anyway and all this stuff that it just wouldn't— I mean, I'm trying to really think I—no. Nope. Okay, this is the closest I can get to it. I remember there was this—when I was in college, there was a girl, she was Saudi Arabian, couldn't be out of the closet, and smoke show. Deaf. She could only read lips. And I remember we were working on a school project together, and she kept asking me, she was like, you need to work on your femininity. Why do you pose in pictures like this? And then I remember we were going to maybe kiss, but I remember being like, I was so not into it after that. I didn't even take it as a criticism because I totally respect what she's—I'm like, I totally get that. Like, good for you for wondering about that and someone else and that not having be what you're into. But it doesn't necessarily line up with what I'm into, so I wouldn't really want to explore— you know, but it's not, so So I have not had that, someone sit down and say that mm-hmm. to me. But I really, I might not be the norm there. Like, I know for lots of people, like, they wouldn't, that they would want things to not be as, you know, but it's mirroring heterosexual relationships. But what does that even mean anymore? Like, I am hoping for all unions of any dynamic that there becomes lots of, room for it but to be like played with and just like fall into what's natural for you and it doesn't need to be like so rigid Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like there's plenty of times like I'll sit on my girlfriend's lap or whatever I mean if we're home alone over my dead fucking body would I be doing it in public not for me I think to have to have that conversation for me that kind of be like well maybe like if they were like why do you have to like, why don't you just say you're, why don't you just say you're a caretaker? I'd be like, I don't think of myself as a, I don't want to be a caretaker. I, being chivalrous to me isn't being a caretaker. It's just important. Yeah. And and also, I don't know, chivalry, to me, a lot of, a lot of times, it's just courtesy. And- it, it's a form of, um manners that I can easily do and want to do. Like, there's so many things my girlfriend does for me that are would traditionally be considered, like, more feminine. You know, she's, like, like, if she, she, like, I love to cook, too, but she's an amazing, she's a great cooker. She's much more, like, organized and, like, clean. Like, there's a lot of things that, for me, would be a real stretch because I don't feed into them naturally. So chivalry is, like, oh, I, this is a very easy extension to show my appreciation. So what advice do we have to give to Emma then on the main question, which I think is how does she even start this conversation? Well, yeah, because also we're saying, but still kind of calls her out on what I see as a replication of gender essentials norms that I really didn't think I would ever have to deal with in a lesbian relationship. Okay, so to me, that sounds like someone who took a sociology class and is, like, real pumped about mm-hmm. it. But it's like, you're in a queer relationship, so it's queered. So the gender essentialist norms are out the window because you've already defied them. If you're making a house out of a different mold, it's not going to have the same foundation. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So my advice would be to really think about it in this, the, you know, level of 
you and the person and what really bothers you specifically? Like, is it done in a way that makes you feel small or frustrated and why? And if, if it's something where you like, you're really trying to like get the conversation going, I don't know if this is problematic or not. I know for me, if someone was like, wanted to have this conversation with me where they're like, I just want to understand it more. Why does this have to be tied to gender? I would say, I would say that's almost fair to just ask like that. Like, why does this have to be tied to gender? And I would say, oh, it doesn't like it, but it has to do with, you know, I think if someone's comfortable in their masculinity, it's like, oh, that's just like how I like to, that's important for me to show you that I'm the man one. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, if her partner isn't trans, then it wouldn't necessarily be tied to gender anyway, because their gender would be female. So it wouldn't be tied to gender. But I would say you, I mean, I think buttering up, especially if your partner's very masculine, then butter them up first. (laughs) Be like, I mean, it's from this person writing in, it sounds like they maybe are not the buttering up type, but I I shouldn't make, I shouldn't assume that just from this. Uh, But it, but you know, if you start by saying what you like and appreciate Mm -hmm. and just saying, and emphasizing that it's new for you, being like, this is new for me. And I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to understand because I really like you and I care about you and I want this to work. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around, you know, if, if maybe give them a little wiggle room, are these acts of chivalry for you that I do appreciate? Are they, how are they tied into your masculine identity? And like, why is that word important to you? And maybe they'll surprise you. Maybe they'll be like, it's not, what are you talking about? That's so antiquated. Where are you coming from? But maybe that'll give you the space to see their thought process more. So then if it is something where you're like, ew, you'll at least have addressed it head on. I think the biggest thing to me is as much as possible going into it without projections. Because mm-hmm. what comes across a lot in the email is things that you are inferring, I guess, almost like vibes they're picking up on um and good point maybe giving the person the benefit of the doubt sure right <laughs> right because also like you know i would say if the partner is like what well, well, it is because it is tied to this is how it has to be and da, 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 then that's like ooh, red flag red flag for lots of reasons like anytime someone's like really like rigid about i do this and you do this and i don't like you know that does like, it's it's supposed to be a part of making someone feel good. So, you know, like, definitely the conversation will give you a lot of cues into the operating system of your partner to see what they're working with. And also to this, Emma, you know, you're definitely not alone. Like, I've, I think that this is probably something that comes into play, too, maybe with, like, inter, like, generational dating. Like, maybe it's, like, the more, the older, like, butch one, maybe... And that is like, that is like more steeped and I do it this way. And then, you know, I think that this is something that probably is pretty relatable. Do you think it, I don't want to say common in lesbian relationships, but something I would not, say ab, not abnormal not, or out of the norm? I would say not like super, super common because I think it, that's all been like shaked up so much. But I do think probably like in... You know, I'm 36, so I would say, like, a generation or two up, it would be more common, probably, with someone than dating someone who's in a little bit 
younger where things have, you know, things have changed so rapidly. So it could even be a few years age difference. And then socioeconomics could come into it too, because it's like, you know, were you able to go to a liberal arts school where you learned all these terminology or, you know, did like a lot of our ability, at least for me, my, a lot of my ability to break down an analysis of this in turn, like comes from like, I got the chance to study it at school. So it's, there's like, that can be important to remember too. All of the layers. Well, Emma, yeah. thank you so much for coming on Anytime. and helping other Emma. For sure. I really appreciate it. Okay, and ladies, it is just you and me now. Well, you, me, and a listener named Missy who emailed the podcast subject line, Christmas Stepmother Dilemma. Missy writes, all caps, warning, I'm Australian. Oh, wait, so sorry, Missy, I got to do this. Warning, I'm Australian, so some of my spelling, wait, wait, sorry, Missy, I got to do this. Warning, I'm Australian, so some of my spelling will be different from U.S. English. Okay, end of accent. (laughs) And my apologies to Missy and all other Australians listening. Okay, Missy writes, I'm a mid-30s cisgender woman living in Australia, total career nerd with great friends and a goofball dog. And the most unladylike thing about me is I've never had any aspiration to be a mother. I've been telling people since I was eight years old, I love that, I would never have children. I'm happy with my choice and have never felt any biological clock. So imagine my surprise when, a few years back, I fell in love with a guy who has three children to a wife he recently separated from. I was so not ready for this that I actually laughed when he first told me he had kids. I thought he was joking. Oh, Missy, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that moment. When we first started dating, the children lived with their mom in a town several hours away. He could visit them whenever he wanted, but they rarely stayed with us. Since we've moved closer to their town a year ago, the kids have stayed with us more and more, and that's great. I enjoy having them around, but I keep healthy boundaries because they're not my kids. I employ a strategy called nachoing, spelled N-A-C-H-O-I-N-G, nachoing. You can do some research if you don't know this term. It's common within blended families. Side note, listeners, I did think nacho was going to be an acronym for something. In fact, it is more slang for, in fact, nacho is slang for not your. So like, not, not your kids, nacho kids. I I don't know if I'm using it correctly. Anyway, Missy continues. Holiday season 2022 is now upon us. Dun, dun, dun. That's what I hear in my head. No sleigh bells ringing in here. And this will be the first Christmas my stepkids will be staying with us instead of their mom. Joining us will be my mother, back from living overseas for several years. It will be our first Christmas together since 2019. Whew, I'm already sweating. My partner, based on his behavior, and my mom, based on her overly... Oh, 
and my mom, based on her overtly telling me, expect me to organize the Christmas festivities for the family. I have complicated feelings towards Christmas. Family conflicts and rampant, mindless consumerism are not what I live for. My ideal 25th of December would involve me alone with a bottle of wine and a jigsaw puzzle. Is patriarchy the reason I'm picked party planner? Does being a woman mean I must be default soiree sorter? Who says the female of the house must fuss over the festivities? Missy, I don't know if you mean to, but you are typing out a tongue twister for me. (laughs) Would it be heartless for me to refuse to organize anything and tell my mom and partner they can organize a way to their heart's content? I'd love to hear from other unladies about the phenomenon of being a stepmom in today's world. There are lots of blended family support groups on Facebook and the like, but mostly the women have both biological and stepchildren. I feel alone in my world of childless by choice and yet a stepmom. I really care about these kids. I do what I can do to give them the best start in life. But I also need to acknowledge, one, it doesn't come naturally to me. And two, there are so many toes to potentially step on with every move I make. Happy holidays, Missy. Okay, Missy, you are certainly not alone in Childless by Choice and Yet a Stepmom. I've heard from unladies in similar positions. And I remember back when Unladylike was putting together our two-parter on being child-free, child-free by choice. And in the research, stepmom, step-parenting was noticeably absent a lot of the times. It barely came up in the studies, in a lot of the cultural conversations around it. But I do know that you are not the only unlady in this position. As for the soiree sorting, You ask, is patriarchy the reason why I'm picked party planner? I'm going to go ahead and say that the short answer is yes. It's extremely gendered to assume that in a opposite gender household that the talk about the butch femme binary, you know, that the the femme or the feminine person, the woman in this case, is going to be the cruise director. She's going to be the social planner and all of the decorating and guest inviting and organizing, that's going to fall on her. It does not have to, though. Now, I don't think that the answer is telling your mom and boyfriend that they can essentially, you know, go fuck themselves and <laughs> that you're going to go find a jigsaw puzzle and a bottle of wine and call it a day. I don't think that that's going to be positive for anyone. I do think that if you want these children to feel comfortable, as comfortable as they can in what's going to be a new holiday dynamic for them, I do think that you need to give some in the sense of considering how you would like to participate and show up, most importantly in this case, for these kids. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, I get you on the 
the drain, the emotional and financial drain of our of holiday family traditions, okay? But there are times that we have to show up anyway, and we have to set aside our desire for solace, disrupt that a little bit, to pay it forward to the people who you're probably most concerned about in this situation, which, again, are the kids. And in the meantime, I would also have some direct and boundary-setting conversations with your mom and also with your partner. So let's take your mom first because I think she's the easier one. She's overtly told you what she thinks you need to do for these Christmas festivities. Allow yourself to imagine from an optimistic point of view, an optimistic attitude, what a pleasant enough Christmas with these kids could look like. And I would also get clear with your partner and to whatever extent you can, their mom, about any kinds of expectations they have for the kids' Christmas and rely on that as well as you lay out for your mom how the day is going to go and what can be expected. And mom, if you think that having a insert fancy menu item or elaborate festivity or elaborate decoration here, if if that's something that you would really love to do, I would love your help with that. If Could you oversee that? And if she says no and bounces it back to you again, then you say, okay, well, it's not going to happen. This is how it's going to go. It is even more important, though, for you to talk to your partner and base his expectations on his words. Because you say, my partner, based on his behavior expects me to organize Christmas festivities. And Missy, I, again, I empathize with how easy it can be to infer expectations based on behavior. And at least in my experience of living with a straight man, those behaviors can read in a a very gender normy kind of way if if I'm just trying to interpret signals. But when we actually have the conversations and talk about it, and I don't assume that I know what he wants, a lot of times it turns out like I, I wasn't, wasn't quite hitting the mark there. And especially considering that your partner is their dad, you really, you really definitely need to just have a conversation about what feels good to him, what he'd like for the kids. And this is where any kind of organizing, like, let him take the lead on that. You know, it is, again, yes, extremely gendered to assume that anything in the domestic sphere, any domestic organizing the woman will take the lead. And guess what, Missy? You don't have to do that. You can rebel. But while it wouldn't necessarily be heartless 
to go on full-blown <laughs> Christmas strike, it would be, I think, immature. I think it would be shortchanging these kids. And I think it would be, to an extent, to use a highly charged word in the child-free community, it'd be a little bit selfish, you know? And the good news is, Missy, I know that you can pull this off. I know that you can figure out these boundaries for yourself and communicate them because you're already doing that. Like, you yourself say, I keep healthy boundaries because they're not my kids. And you can keep maintaining and reinforcing healthy boundaries to also allow for a little bit of holiday cheer while giving a middle finger to the patriarchy. God, and the thing is, too, I don't know how much time you'll have with these kids. And again, I don't know their ages. But, I mean, Christmas decorations, make the kids make them. Nothing is more charming than hideous, poorly made holiday decorations created by children. And finally, I would just like to acknowledge the the patriarchal sexist bullshit that stepmoms are subjected to year-round. The archetype of a stepmother has been so, so negative and warped for centuries. I mean, the wicked stepmother trope, like, Disney did not invent that. And if we look at more recent studies on step-parenting and stepmoms in particular, one term that jumps out a lot is role strain, of feeling uneasy in or distressed by this vague role that stepmoms often fall into because it comes with both the overwrought expectations of motherhood with also this uh, almost like warning label like Missy you warned at the top of your email <laughs> that you're Australian like this stepmom warning label that like you need to be a good stepmom but not too good of a mom it's like know your place but like your place is going to be kind of a bit vague so you figure it out for yourself and because patriarchy stepmothers tend to have a harder time with this kind of role dilemma than stepfathers and it turns out that the stepmoms who tend to adapt most easily and low stress to step parenting are what are called androgynous stepmoms. Quote, they described their experiences in terms of demonstrating personal resilience. They were less likely to define their sense of self solely based on their family relationships and more likely to incorporate their friendships, careers, etc. Essentially, stepmoms who, like you, Missy, are actively not internalizing those gender norms. So I think what you're running up against is a new challenge in all of this. And what I hear from your letter is that you already have the tools to rise to the occasion. 
and then sit back down and enjoy a bottle of wine and a jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) Thank you so much to Emma Willman for her help this episode. Listen to her and Mateo Lane's podcast, Inside the Closet, anywhere you get podcasts. And go follow her on Instagram at Emma Willman. Do you all have any burning questions or life conundrums, big or small, that maybe your friends are sick of hearing about or you're too embarrassed to talk to anyone about or even Google? Send them to me. Yeah, if you'd like to. This is a safe space. Hello at unladylike.co is where you can email them or email me a voice memo. You can also DM me on Instagram at unladylikemedia or send a voice memo there. Voice memos. I do love the voice memos. You can also follow Unladylike on Twitter and TikTok at unladylikemedia. And if you too are curious about what... What's going on with Ozempic? We need to talk about Ozempic, friends. Patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. For $5 a month, you get a bonus episode every week, full-length guest interviews, and other fun extras. That's why I call it Extra Unladylike. Get it? Head to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Unladylike is a Starburns audio production. Executive produced, written, and hosted by me, Kristen Conger. Tara Brockwell is our senior producer. Catherine Caligori is our associate producer. Audio and engineering is by Ali Naku. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next time, it's time to read your questions and answer them. I do feel like there should be some kind of unladylike theme. Would it be to the Jeopardy tune? Ask on Lady Like anything. I'll do my best to answer it non judgmentally. <laughs> I'll have to work on it. Starbanks Audio, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.